How's everybody? Stumbled on. I spoke like seven words and I just stumbled on them. So that's, that's not a good start, is it? Um, hey, hope everyone had a good Christmas. Hope everyone got to spend time with family and friends and uh, hope that was good. Uh, good to kind of be back to some normalcy. Uh, December's like a blur. I don't know if it is for anyone else, but um, it's good to kind of get back into a routine. If you've never been here before, we are in the book of Acts and we've been in it for a while. We did a little bit. We're in chapter 13. We did a little bit two weeks ago. When I say a little bit, we only did about a fourth of the chapter um, through verse 12. And let me catch up a little bit. If you've never been here, book of Acts is a fifth book of the New Testament. And uh, I kind of call it a transitional book. It's kind of the bridge between the gospel, what Jesus's life and message was, the start of the church is kind of the book of Acts, and then it kind of bridges us into and takes us into what it means to be a Christian, right? And that's where we get into the epistles, which is later writings of the, the New Testament. But um, the book of Acts is interesting. Where we are in the story is uh, Christianity is about 10 years old at this point. They just started calling followers of Jesus Christians, and that happened in a city called Antioch. And now where the, the church is really kind of catching root right now isn't as much in Jerusalem and in Israel where it started, though it is growing there, but it's moved north up through modern-day Lebanon, up through modern-day Syria, up into what is modern-day Turkey, and especially in a city called Antioch, okay? It's caught on big time. Guys like Paul and Barnabas and a guy, like John, uh, a guy named John Mark and Simon of Cyrene and a, a, a group of these individuals have been chosen by this healthy, vibrant church in Antioch to be sent out and to start planting churches and spreading the gospel in areas where people don't know who Jesus is, or at least they don't know the significance of Jesus, okay? So we talked about two weeks ago, because we see in just the first 12 chapters, or I'm sorry, 12 verses of chapter 13, we see the foundations of what the Christian faith should be. It says that they prayed, they fasted, they served, they gave, they went out and evangelized, which means they told other people about Jesus. These are the foundations, the fundamental things that Christians should be doing. And we don't talk about those things enough. And if we do, we don't often do those things enough. Pray, we're about to start a big fast, right? Like things like that. The foundations of our faith, sometimes we forget about. And sometimes we build bigger and bigger churches losing the bedrock, the fundamentals and so we wonder why Christianity is declining in the United States. We wonder why morale and, and moral uh, compasses are starting to break apart in the United States. And it's because we forgot our fundamentals. This week, we're going to talk about this. Boy, and guys, I just, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be very, very honest and, and, and blunt with you as we wrap up this year, right? The next time we see each other, it'll be 2018, and everyone will have their New Year's resolutions to you know, lose weight and travel more and make more money and go to the gym and churches are going to be telling you about how to have a more abundant life and it's about you and you, 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 you. And that's not the route this church has ever really gone and, and it's not the route I'm going to start going in 2018. I don't really care so much about how you're going to better you this year. I, I'm really concerned about how you're going to advance the kingdom of God this coming year. And so we're going to ask ourselves, not are we going to do for us, because I'm going to be blunt with you today, very blunt. Um, that's not the way Christians should think. It's not about what is best for us. It's about what's best for the kingdom of God. What is God's will for me to do to help others? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And if it's your first time here, 
um, I'm a nice guy, I, I, I swear. Like, if you meet me, like, like, individually, if I'm not on this little egg-shaped stage and you just kind of, like, run into me somewhere, like, I'm a, I'm a pleasant person. I swear, thank you. Um, <laughs> I swear I'm a decent guy, right? Uh, but, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to be just, just straightforward with you today. Uh, and I'll be very, very honest with you. Um, Christianity is, is it, 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 sometimes it wears me the heck down. And uh, I'm at a point right now where it has worn me the heck down. And uh, I love Jesus. I've, I've never not loved Jesus. And I love people. But, but sometimes I go through seasons where, where I love humanity, but I just don't like humanity, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of in one of those stages right now. So please, just like if I just get a little salty up here, just, you know, take me with a grain of that, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just Corey being, you know, Corey up there, you know, diva Corey or whatever he is, you know, like, just ignore me and I'll get back to normal, you know, eventually and, um, and we'll move forward, right? So anyways, you should have a notes handout in front of you. Uh, I want to encourage you, pick up one of those fast guides before you leave. I think it's a buck and you get uh, the, the guide and you get a, a fancy bracelet and um, fancy, it's rubber, you know, so uh, you get a bracelet and we start this fast. And, and let me say before we start getting into the lesson today, we don't go through 40-day fasts at the beginning of the year because you ate like hell during December. That's not why we do that. We do it to get closer to God, not so you can cut out sugar and, and lose weight. It's not the point of a biblical fast. There are health benefits to a biblical fast. But that's not why we do it. We do it so we can reconnect with our Creator, Okay. And so when you go pick up one of those guides, don't do it because you're like, ooh, this will hold me accountable to drop some pounds. God doesn't care about your six-pack. God cares about your soul, right? So he wants to be connected with you on that level, right? Okay? So we can get to heaven without six-packs. Thank you, God, right? So <laughs> let's pray. Uh, please pray for me. I'm going to pray for me. So um, we're going to pray, and you should have the notes hand out in front of you, and you should have everything ready to rock. And and again, if you have a Bible, fifth book of the New Testament, 13th chapter, starting at verse 13. Let me pray, and um, we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I love you, God. I love you so much. Father, I'm more convinced now than ever, God, that without you, we, we, are, we are so in the dark, God. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we open up our eyes. I pray that we are honest. God, Lord, let us take off our masks. Let us take off our facades, Lord. Let us just kick off our shoes and be straightforward today. God, we pray that you bless every church in our community. God, bless every believer in our community. God, bless the nonprofits in our community. God, keep your hand on our homeless brothers and sisters it is, as it is miserably cold outside, God. Keep your hand on them, Lord, and protect them. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. Lord, let every word that come out of my mouth honor you today. And Lord, don't ever let me be disparaging or, or, or in any way dishonor you, God. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to do my best to break it down, and uh, we'll see where we end up, okay? Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylian. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Poseidon Antioch, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogues and they sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, 
If you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up, motioned with his hands, and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out with a mighty hand. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, after this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for about 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king, and God testified about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all of my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming on to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Okay, so if you weren't with us a couple of weeks ago, this missionary team that left Antioch to go west, right? They went to the island of Cyprus and then kind of north up into what is southern Turkey, okay? This group was led by a guy named Barnabas. Now it appears the group is not led by Barnabas. It's now led by Paul and his companions. Not only that, it looks like John has left. He has split. And so what we see, and we'll find out in chapter 15, is there has been a genuine falling out in this group. It probably started with Paul and Barney didn't get along. I couldn't fit Barnabas in there. Paul and Barney didn't get along. And then John took Barnabas' side and he took off. So what does this mean? It means in practical terms that they didn't really care for each other that much. And I know they were all Christians, and they loved God, and they probably loved each other, but John probably couldn't stomach the fact that Paul, a Roman citizen, he was a Jew by blood, but had Roman citizenship, John probably couldn't stomach the fact that this guy was leading the charge. Barnabas probably was jealous of Paul's knowledge. And quite frankly, Paul was probably a hard guy to work with. Paul and Peter didn't get along. Paul and Barnabas didn't get along. Paul and John didn't get along. Like, Paul didn't get along with everyone very well, right? And so here's what we learn from this. Even though Christians don't always work together well, it doesn't mean that the message of Christ is flawed. I can't tell you how many people said, these churches always argue, so that Christian thing must be stupid. No, no, no. You can't judge a religion based on the followers because get this, folks, keep your hats on, right? People will always make mistakes. Even the best people will always make mistakes. We are flawed. Even church leaders are flawed. You guys are like, Psh, look at that dude, right? You know, like, so just because uh, uh, followers make mistakes, you cannot judge the religion by it. So when you judge Islam, don't judge it by Muslim people, judge it by the Quran. When you judge Christianity, please don't judge it by Christians, judge it by the Bible. And you will see what the truth is of one book and you'll see what the fallacies are of the other. And it comes from the religious text, not from the followers, because the followers will always make mistakes. So they go into this area, right? Poseidia. 
They go into this area, they go straight to the synagogue, and in the synagogue, during the, the, the times of worship, they would open up with prayers called the Shema, they would read from the Torah, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and then after that, the leaders of the synagogue said, hey, Paul, you got any words of encouragement for us? Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> Paul was a Jewish scholar. This man was a brilliant man. He knew history backwards and forwards, especially Jewish history. Now, here's the thing about Jewish culture at this time. Most Jews had a good grasp on their faith and a good grasp on Jewish history. So all Jews knew history and the Word of God, the, the Old Testament, pretty darn well. So what he's going to do, Paul, is he's gonna take Jewish history and he's gonna fashion it into the shape of an arrow that points right towards Jesus. So he's gonna take quite a big stretch of history, compress it in really, really quick, about 450 years of history, and that's gonna to point to the fact that all of Jewish history has led to Jesus Christ. So his audience is made up of Jews, who of course believe in Judaism, and there was also Greeks and Romans who had converted to Judaism. So they weren't Jews by blood, but now they were Jewish by theology, if you will. So as he works through the 450 years of history, Paul's point is to show that God is sovereign, right? Even through slavery, even through going through the wilderness, even through combating with their enemies, God was in control the whole time. God always knew what he was doing. And look at the verbs he uses, that God chose his people he prospered his people. He led his people. He endured his people. Even God doesn't like us all the time, right? It says he put up with his people for a certain amount of time. That he overthrew the enemies of his people and he provided, he gave for his people. God was always in control. He was always looking out for his people. So Paul goes through history. He touches on the judges. He touches on the prophet Samuel. He touches on the first king, which was Saul, and he leads into King David. Now, the Jews loved King David, and rightfully so. He was a man known to them as a man after God's heart, not a perfect man. This guy did some horrible stuff, but he was a man that followed the will of God. Even though he made mistakes, he repented of those mistakes, and he followed the will of God. And it's important to go to David and make David the launching pad into Jesus because Jesus is from the bloodline of David. So this leads right into Christ. So Paul connects the sovereignty of God with the graciousness of God. That all throughout history, God had sent great leaders to look out for his people. Moses, Samuel, David, and then eventually the greatest of all leaders, Jesus Christ. So all the great leaders of the Old Testament were a foreshadowing for the greatest leader, which is Jesus Christ. And the last prophet that kind of like set the stage or paved the way for that was John the Baptist. This is the man that they think baptized over 100,000 people. And people would look at him and they say, dude, you're awesome. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's someone that's coming after me that's going to be truly awesome. I can't even touch that dude's shoes. And so the ultimate act of grace wasn't Moses or Samuel or King David. The ultimate act of grace is that God was going to send his only son as a payment to pay off our debt, to pay off our sin, that God was going to send his only son, okay? Next part. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, 
It is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and they put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it's written in the second Psalm, you are my son, and today I have become your father. As to this raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep. That means he died. He was buried with his fathers and he decayed. But the one God has raised up did not decay. So Paul moves on from history into a very recent historical thing, which is the crucifixion. At this time, the crucifixion had happened about 10 years ago. So it was pretty recent history. Paul's point, though, is this. He said Jesus came. He was the Savior. He died. He was securely buried, which means no one could go in and steal the corpse, right? So he was securely buried, He rose from the grave, and hundreds of people saw it. So his point was simple. The Savior came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and we have proof. A lot of us saw this. Hundreds of people saw this take place. Paul says, so for all the Jewish people who had heard week in, week out in the Sabbath, right, in the synagogues, that they had studied every single week in their homes, every single day in their homes, The people who were looking for the prophecies of the Old Testament to be fulfilled, they saw it. They saw that Jesus was the Savior. They got their answer. But get this, a lot of people read the Bible every single week in church, and they missed the fact that Jesus was near them. You guys out there, right? Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it, right? That we gather once a week, we hear the Word of God, and then we go out, and it makes absolutely no impact on our life. So this is what they heard. So the people that heard it, but they were so consumed with other parts of their life, not only did they ignore the scripture, they had Jesus crucified. They had him crucified. And so they took him, they had him killed. He was an innocent man, right? So even if he wasn't the savior, they had an innocent man murdered. But even though they heard the word every single week, it never took root in their heart and they ended up becoming murderers. So not only did they become murderers, they fulfilled the prophecies. They were the bad guys of the prophecies. They were the ones Isaiah was talking about when he said that people were gonna kill the Savior. They were the ones. And God still raised him from the dead. Get this. Despite hundreds and hundreds of years of rebellion, despite the fact that God knew he was gonna send his only son and that the people were going to reject him and hurt him, despite all of that, God still chose to send his son. 
Look at the grace there. God still decided, even though he knew that a lot of people would reject him, he still sent his son to die on the cross. And so Paul told the crowd, we're now offered this salvation through Jesus. That salvation comes for us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is called substitutionary atonement. That's a fancy way of saying that if anyone should have been crucified, it should have been me. It should have been you. And so if we call ourselves Christians, guys, we're about to go down this road. If we call ourselves Christians, we often say that salvation is free. It is free. That is theologically accurate. But salvation is not cheap. It, it was paid for by the blood of an only child. And so when we understand that as Christians, Christians in the room, our lives should be in such a way that it honors that sacrifice. The what, hold on, that what we watch, what we listen to, how we, how, we perf- like how we are sexually in our lives, how we treat our bodies, how we talk to other people, what we look at on the internet, how we treat our children and talk to our spouse, all of these things should reflect the fact that we understand that our salvation was paid for by blood. Because Jesus wasn't like a human savior. He wasn't like Moses that delivered people. He wasn't like David who was a wonderful leader. He didn't decay. Jesus died like those other men, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. His body never decomposed. And this was proof that God had sent the messenger, that God had sent the Savior, and that we now have salvation. And the resurrection was proof of that. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that could not be justified through the law of Moses. So beware what is said that the prophets, that it doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. So the final point of Paul's sermon was this. Forgiveness comes through believing and following Jesus Christ. And Jesus, having faith in Jesus, produces justification. That's another very churchy word. All that simply means is this. Because we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified through Jesus. Justification is a legal term that means we have debt. We have accumulated debt because of our moral failure, because of sins in our life. But because Jesus has come and paid for our debt, forgiven us of those sins, we can stand in front of God and instead of God saying you're guilty because of your debt, he looks at us and says you're innocent because someone has paid your debt off. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how our salvation is found. How is that even possible? It is possible only by one means, grace. This means that you and I can do things to foster a healthy relationship with God. I'm so tired of the abuse of grace by Christians. 
Like, we're saved by grace. I can do whatever I want. No, the Bible directly talks about that. Paul says, should you sin more so grace can get bigger? No, absolutely not. The response to God's grace is to live a more devoted life to Christ. And so we can do things to foster a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with each other. But even if we achieve almost perfection in that, even the best humans that have ever lived have not earned salvation. It is only by God's grace. Nothing can compare to what Christ did on the cross for us. So every good thing that comes out of us, we need to be very careful to acknowledge that that could only happen by God's grace. It is nothing within me. It is all God's grace. So Paul quotes one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Habakkuk, small book in the Old Testament. Love the book of Habakkuk. Paul quotes this and he says, look, now that you've been given the invitation of salvation, there's a cost to that, and the cost is this. If you deny it, if you scoff at the gospel, you will, quote unquote, vanish away. That means you're not gonna be with God for eternity. And though God is gracious, we must accept that grace. We must act on that grace. We must follow him, and if we don't, there are eternal consequences. Now, I know what everyone in the room is saying right now. I, I would never scoff at the gospel. Wait a second. When we hear the truth week in, week out, and we choose not to do it, that is scoffing at it. That is saying that's not that important to me, right? That is saying that it, that it doesn't have the kind of value that the Bible claims that it does. We scoff at that. And if we're not careful, there are eternal consequences. So Paul and Barnabas, they had to move on, right? They didn't want to stay in this area too long. They were going to come in, teach the gospel, and move on to other areas. They actually needed to head back east towards the city of Antioch. But because people were fascinated with the gospel, they said, hey, will you stay one more week? Will you come back next weekend, and will you teach us again? And Paul said, we'll do that, but until we see you next week, continue in the grace of God. Here's what they had. This is, this is vitally important. I hope you guys listen to me on this. Everyone in this room, regardless if you believe in Jesus yet or not, right? Regardless of what your belief system is right now, let me tell you, if you have a copy of the scripture, it's the Bible, if you have an open mind and if you have a desire to learn, you will be a-okay. Jesus said, those who seek, find. So if you will get a copy of the scripture, not just get a copy, it means you actually have to read the words in there, right? If you get a copy of the scripture, if you have an open mind, and if you have a desire to do what this book tells you to do, you'll be fine. I, I do not worry about you at all. These are the three, I'm gonna say it one more time. These are the three components that we all need to have. A copy of the scripture, an open mind, and a desire to do what the scripture says, okay? Last part. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw that the crowds were, uh, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, "It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles." to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples, that's the new followers of Jesus, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So in the day in between Sabbaths, probably everyone that came up to Paul and Barnabas, they just shared the gospel with them, right? Just in a normal setting, a casual setting, shared the gospel. So the people started getting jealous of this. The Jewish people started getting jealous of this, right? They started seeing that more and more people, in fact, by the the next Sabbath day, within a week, it says the whole city showed up to hear the message. Now, here's the thing. The Jews weren't bothered by the theology. They were bothered that the church down the street was getting bigger than them. They were bothered that that group was starting to look bigger than their group. And so that caused envy, right? And so they started contradicting Paul. And so the Jews were probably also upset that not only was there a bigger crowd, right? But there was all these people coming into the synagogue that didn't look like them. Wait a second. These non-believers are coming into our church. They don't live exactly like us and think exactly like us. And it made them uncomfortable. So they started to contradict the message of Paul. Listen, the message of Paul was the gospel. So in other words, they were contradicting God. So look at the progression here. Guys, envy led them to despising people. And envy led to despising people, which led them to be blasphemous to the message of God. We live in a culture that is deeply ingrained in the sin of envy. And if we don't get a grip on our envious selves, we're going to go down a path that's going to lead us to a very dark place. If it hasn't already in our culture, we are a very, very envious culture. And so after this experience, Paul acknowledges, he looks at the Jews, right, who are now like against him, they're opposing him. He looks at the Jews and he says, look, I was told by God to minister to you first, to give you the opportunity first. And he says, but since you guys reject it, since you guys find yourself unworthy of this, it's a waste of your time, now we're going to focus on the Gentiles. We're going to focus on the Greeks and the Romans. What had happened is, The crowd had become self-righteous, which means they thought they could do it themselves, right? It's funny. You'll notice it, especially if you decide to do like a media fast during all this time, uh, uh, during our 40-day fast, which is the the most difficult part, in my opinion, is cutting out all media, all kinds of things that are not Christian, right? You'll start to pick up on things that maybe you didn't pick up on before. The majority of songs you hear, the songs written for our kids and in pop culture, right, are about follow your heart. Dig down deep inside. Just let, be true to yourself, right? There's nothing about me I should ever be ashamed about. Like, this is me. I'm proud of me. Everything's about me. The Bible clearly tells us if you look into your heart, you're going to be greatly deceived. It's in Jeremiah, if you think I'm just making that up, right? It says the most deceitful part about ourselves is our heart. So any one of you in this room, I don't care how good of a person you are, if you dig down deep enough in your heart, you're going to find some dark stuff. That's why we don't follow our hearts. That's why we don't become self-righteous and think we have all the answers. We are to be full of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we follow. We don't follow our hearts. We follow the Holy Spirit of God. If you think your heart has the answer, you are greatly deceived, says Jeremiah the prophet, right? Moving on. So Paul reminded us. He says, look, you guys were meant to be the light to the non-believers. 
And this is so important. He looked at the Jews and he says, God has chosen you to be the light, but you weren't the light. And so he had to send his only son because you didn't do what God wanted you to do. God had to step in and do your job for you. So here's what we have to embrace without becoming cynical, which I'm pretty sure I've already failed at, right? We have to know that humanity will always come up short. It doesn't mean we don't love people. It doesn't mean that we don't follow certain people. But I remember in 2016, guys, here we go, right? I've lost people at this church because I've told you that politics is not the answer to your life, right? In 2016, during that election, boy, Christians show their butts during presidential election cycles. It just comes out, man. And the whole time of 2016, already right now, some of you are offended because I don't bow down to Trump like, and, and claim that he's you know, the fourth part of the Trinity. Anyways, <laughs> in 2016, and I pray for the man. I've prayed for every president since I've been, since I've been a Christian. I've always prayed for the head of, of our country, always. We are to honor and respect the head of our country, whether we like the person or not. Romans 13, right? But in 2016, man, you wouldn't believe what people would say. Oh, Corey, if so-and-so gets elected, man, we're done. Really? I don't, care. I don't care if we elect a chimpanzee to president. Like, Jesus still sits on the throne, right? I mean, so when the people of God said, God, you know, like, we know you're up there, but we need someone to sit on a throne down here, he gave him a guy named Saul. How did that work out? Any of you Bible scholars in here, right? Not because I'm not trying to bust on Saul or Barack Obama or President Trump. I'm not trying to do any of that. What I'm trying to tell you is even the best of people cannot save your soul. They cannot save you. Only God can save you. And that has always been the intention of this word is to point that humanity will never, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we must put our attention on God. So when the Gentiles, I, I find this kind of funny, right? So imagine two camps. You have the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And I'm not trying to knock on Jewish people at all, but you have these two camps in the city, right? Besideian. And so Paul looks at the Jews and he says, okay, we're done with you. Gentiles, you're our focus now. The Gentiles were like, all right. You know, like they were pretty happy about that. And it says that they rejoiced and they honored the word of God. And here's what's fascinating. It says, those were who appointed, those who were appointed then believed. Uh-oh. Now we have this theological conundrum, right? Christians love to fight over, are we predestined or do we have free will? And the Bible teaches both of those things, so it's kind of dumb to argue about those with your Christian friends. So in this moment, it says that they were predestined. They were appointed before they believed. So they were chosen before they believed. Does that mean that we don't have choice? No, because it says that they chose to honor the word of God and follow him. So predestination and free will are, are simultaneously taught all throughout the New Testament, and we see it right here. God chooses us, yes, but we also choose God back. So in the Jews' anger and envy, they got the most influential men and women of the city, right? And they kind of launched a, a persecution campaign. This isn't physical persecution. This is more social persecution, gossip, backbiting, lying, saying bad things. And here's how they got the Christians kicked out of the city. This is very important because it's going to lead to one of my major points. 
the Jewish people went to the Roman officials and said, these people are upsetting our Pax Romana. The Pax Romana, if you go back, it means the peace of Rome. Now, what this means is this. There was this facade of peace. There was never truly peace in the Roman Empire. There was always corruption and war and all these things. But the Pax Romana was a time in Rome when there was a facade of peace, but it had, listen, it had become so politically correct that the Roman Empire had stopped expanding. It had stopped growing. And so the Jews went and told the officials, these Christians are upsetting our political correctness. They're not saying all the things that we want them to say. They're upsetting the peace, right? They're getting too much into our personal lives. And so they got kicked out of the city. And so as we move on, after this response from the Jews and after this response from the city as a whole, not the ones who wanted to accept it, but from the officials, something very controversial happened. Paul and Barnabas, Luke records, knocked the dust off their feet. They looked at this group of people, sorry, section over here. They looked at this group of people and they said, we are wasting our time talking to you right now. Now, some people say, Corey, that is so harsh. It's a direct quote from Jesus. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, there are times if you go into a city and they don't wanna listen to you, pray for them, love them, and leave, right? Don't waste your time. Jesus even said, don't cast your pearls among swine. It's a waste, right? Don't waste it. Go to people who actually care. So they went to the people who actually cared and the people who actually were receptive to the message, it says they were filled with joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul and Barnabas leave and they find a receptive audience. Okay. So the next time I see you, it'll be 2018. The gyms will be packed for two months. <laughs> we'll all stop eating sugar for two months, you know. Everything will change for the first quarter of the year. This church, I kid you not, I kid you not because it's happened every single year. Maybe it won't this year because word will get out that I'm such a jerk, but uh, every single year, this church grows six to 800 people in the first two months. Last year, we grew 47% in two months. Every year we do that. So we'll see this huge influx of people because it'll be a bunch of people's New Year's resolution to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. You know what's sad though? Just like the gyms, come March or April, when the weather starts getting nice, oh, come football season, come travel baseball, come soccer, come just life in general, and we level out. Why? Because when it becomes a new year, it becomes more about us than it was the previous year. What more can I do, right? I want to make more money. I want to travel more. I want to get that body that I've always wanted. All these things that are all about me. You go ask your friends what their 2018 resolution is. <laughs> I bet you money it's not to cut their cable bill so they can adopt two children in Compassion International. <laughs> I bet it's not to sacrifice more time so they can feed the homeless on Sunday mornings. I bet it's not so they can start tithing more or maybe they can even start giving above the bare minimum. Guys, you know 25% of our church tithes and that's more than triple the average of a church? So get this, one quarter of our church believes in the mission of this church enough to actually give financially and we're doing three times better than the average church. 
right? People are constantly sending me messages, Corey, why don't we do this, this, and this? Because only a quarter of our church believes in the vision. Because we have to beg you to serve. Only 35% of our church serves, and that's way above the, the, the curve. It's usually about 20%. So man, when people are like, why doesn't the church do more? I'm like, because you guys are too busy. Because we're thinking about ourselves. So here's my thing. Do we have our own Pax Romana? Do we have our own facade of peace? Corey, that's crazy. Get on Facebook. You can do it now. It's funny, when I get on Facebook, everyone's happy, right? No one ever works. They're always like in Europe and like, you know, like, I really care what you're eating for breakfast and everything is good, right? Because here's what we've done. We've created this facade of peace. We've created this thing that we want to make sure, like, everyone thinks this about us, right? And I know a lot of the truth because I counsel a lot of you. And I see this facade, right? And I see this great veneer that we've put on ourselves, these masks that we wear. And guys, listen, I don't want any of you to be perfect. God doesn't want you to be perfect. Do you know what God does want us to be? Honest. Honest. If someone asks how you're doing and it sucks, say it sucks. I'm struggling, man. That's why we need community. But what happens is it becomes all about us, right? And the church feeds into this. I'm telling you, all around the world right now, churches are, hey, 2018, let's just make the best you possible. And we feed into the same thing that the world keeps feeding you. And what happens is we become more narcissistic and we become more selfish and we become more focused about what we are going to do for us this year. And I will just be so blunt with you, that is not the mindset of Jesus. When we become followers of Jesus, we have taken a vow that our life is not about us. It's about his kingdom, his will. That's the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done here like it is there. And up there, it's not all about you. It's about him. It's about something bigger. And so what we do is we constantly invest in things that have no ripple beyond us. Listen, when I die, and I'm, God, I am so far from perfect. But when I die, I don't care the square footage of my home. If you've got a big home, good for you. Good for you. I'm not concerned about the square footage of my home. I'm worried about the integrity of my daughters. I want to be able to stand before God and say, I treated this woman well, that I provided and protected for her. I want to stand in front of God and say that I taught my children the love and fear of the Lord. I don't care about how big your house is. I don't care about how good you look. I don't care about how much money you make. None of those things are inherently evil, but when they become your focus, when they become your objective, that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be taken care of, but keep your focus in alignment. Are we willing to let God get into our business a little bit? 
Man, during this 40-day fast, some of you should pull the cable out of Facebook. Get off Instagram. Have conversations. You know what would be a fun fast? Instead of texting people, we call people. Right? That instead of just communicating by email, that we actually set up coffee appointments, that we let God get into our lives, that we make our resolutions not about me, but about what we can do for other people. Let me shift gears. Let me really challenge you. And you guys are going to think, I'm such a jerk. But guys, some of you need to knock the dust off your feet with some people. This church will spend $600,000 next year on benevolence and things for other people. And so I'm challenging our team right now. Are we using this wisely, right? Are we throwing money at people who really have no, no, no desire to even change? And if Jesus were standing right here in flesh and blood, he would say, if people don't want to listen, move on. Multiple times in the New Testament, it says this. So are we being good stewards with our time? Of course, you should pray for people. You should love people. But there may be a whole pocket of hurting people over here, and we've wasted so much time on scoffers that don't believe right here. When there's a whole group that need the truth and want the truth. So my final question is this. I don't care what you're going to do for you this year. Can I be rude? God doesn't care about your six-pack. God doesn't care about your promotion. God loves you. He wants what's best for you. But God's not worried about the temporal things you can gain right now. God is concerned about your eternal soul. God is concerned about your city. God is concerned about your marriage and your family. And so my question is, will we keep going down the same path we always go down? Will our ambition and will our drive come to another disappointing crawl come March? If you want to make a New Year's resolution, make a resolution to take your wife out twice a month. Make a resolution to pray with your children every single night. Make a resolution to serve at a service and then attend a service. Make a resolution to tithe. Guys, my income does not go up one stinking dime if you tithe or don't. But I'll tell you what, a lot more people will get fed if you do. A lot more gospel will be heard in other parts of the world and other parts of the country. If you do, more things will happen for the kingdom. Guys, when we live in a culture where we spend more money on coffee a month, it, than we do on giving to the mission work of Christ, there is a problem with us. When there are starving children all around the world and we say we can't afford it, but we can afford a $5 cup of coffee every single day, got nothing against $5 cup of coffees, nothing against it. But when we have a bunch of homeless children like Endure Athletics ministers to, and when Joel Bigelow has to beg for people to give him money, I hope you enjoy that $5 cup of coffee. There are kids that live in motels, a lot of them prostituted out in a city with churches that spend tens of millions of dollars on stupid, god-awful buildings. You can call me a jerk and you can call me judgmental. It's wrong. And one day we're going to have to stand in front of Christ and we're going to have to give an account for every word and every deed and he's not going to give a rip about your promotion and the square footage of the house you own. He's, please, no. He's going to care about what you did for his kingdom. 
God does not want us to be perfect. He wants us to be honest and he wants us to try. He wants us to have some skin in the game and to care about something other than us. If you want a fluff message, if you want someone to just tell you that you're beautiful, I'm beautiful, we're all beautiful, everything's great, you have no reason to change, this is not where you need to come because that is not the message. That's not the message that this book communicates. It's probably why more pastors don't teach the book. Because that's not the best way to get a new jet, right? I challenge you. If you have any resolutions this year, make sure that those resolutions ripple beyond you. If you want to change the world, change your marriage, change your home, your home life, change your prayer habits, change your, your Bible reading habits. If you really want to change the world, if you really want to make this a better place to live, think outside of yourself. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, this is, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, this is not about you being perfect. I can't say that enough. This isn't about earning our way into heaven. This isn't about earning God's love. You can't earn any of those things. I think the, the big point of today is this. God has shown you and I tremendous grace. If you can take a breath right now and exhale, you have more than you have ever ever earned from God, ever earned. My question for you is this, given what we've been given, the provision that we have, the things that have been set in front of us, God is trusting you and I to do something with that. And it's not just for our benefit, but if we will learn to seek God's kingdom first, if we will learn to love others the way we love ourselves, if we will learn to cut out maybe some of the luxuries that we don't need in order for others to be able to eat, for others to be able to have health care, for others to be supported in foreign countries and in cities in the United States that don't have the gospel. God is calling us to look beyond us. And if we seek his kingdom first, Guys, we will be taken care of. The Bible says he clothes the flowers of the field. They don't even have souls. They're not made in his image. We are. The Bible says that God knows every time a sparrow hits the ground dead. Sparrows are dirty birds that don't have souls. How much more does Christ love us? He's not going to let you down. He's not gonna fail you. You don't have to look out for you. 
You stay connected to God and God will look out for you. And he'll do a much better job than you can ever do. There's people at the front if you need prayer. There's communion all the way around you that everyone is welcome to get. Maybe you should hit your knees sometime before tomorrow. The last day of 2017. Maybe you should hit your knees sometime today and say, God, it's not what I want. What do you want? My resolution will be whatever you tell me, God. If it's to sell it all, and move to an area where no one knows Christ. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Father, Lord God, encourage us, forgive us, strengthen us, stretch us, challenge us. God, help us, Lord. Father, don't let us grow weary in doing good. Let us run this marathon with diligence and endurance, God. And Lord, let us think beyond ourselves. I love you, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. God, I love them so much. I pray that this church honors you. I pray that these people honor you. I pray that we fear you, and I pray that we love each other. Without these things, God, we're nothing. Father, we give 2018 to you. It's yours anyways, and it's only by your grace that we even have it. Every breath we take, every ounce of blood that goes through our veins, God, is because you're gracious. Remind us, God. Lord, I love you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself.